Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 1073 FM. And wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, you'll find the best of Lisa, too. Where Weston comes first for news and talk. The Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 1073 FM. Jeremy Stein leads an organization called Connecticut Against Gun Violence, CAGV. And they are a very effective advocacy organization. We've been spending an awful lot of time today, in, but, but also recently, talking about guns and gun violence. And the case of Nick D'Onofrio, who was really a beloved, uh, a beloved Madison resident who died as a result of a tragic set of circumstances walking up a pathway to a house that he believed was his at 2 a.m., um, having recently moved to South Carolina to continue to attend college, but just attending that university. And uh, the story is, as reported by the Columbia police, that um, he was jiggling the doorknob. He probably believed that that's where he lived and maybe his key didn't fit. And um, he was pushing against the door, and the people there say that he is the person who broke the glass pane in the front door in order to insert his hand to get down to open the knob. And when he did so, there was a woman and man in the residence, the woman calling the police, but the man taking out a gun and shooting him through the door, not shooting the ceiling, not screaming, hey, do you know who you are? What's going on here? You're in the wrong house. Who are you? Or I've called the police. Stop, stop what you're doing. I've got a gun. Nothing. Shoot first, ask questions later. And Connecticut has a castle doctrine. So does South Carolina. The language of the castle doctrines is different. But the idea is that when you are in your own home, you don't have a duty to retreat, to run away. If somebody is in your home, invading your home with threat of imminent physical harm to you or a loved one, you or, or, or somebody else there, that you're entitled to use deadly force 
as a justifiable homicide. And in fact, in South Carolina, the presumption is that if you're trying to get into somebody's house, that you are trying to do so illegally as a burglar, as something, and the person inside the house is entitled to have a reasonable belief that you are intending to do that person imminent harm and therefore can justify a homicide of shooting without having a duty to retreat or ask questions or find out if there is any weapon in the other person's hand. And so that person who is still unnamed will not be facing any charges for the killing of Nick D'Onofrio, age 20, in South Carolina. I invited Jeremy Stein to come on the show to talk about Connecticut and what Connecticut law is and does it differentiate from what happened in South Carolina. And I want to welcome you, Jeremy Stein, back to the Lisa Wexler Show. Hello. Hi, Lisa. Always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So you know the facts of that case. I don't know if you read, you know, this morning it came out about the fact that they say that Nick put his hand through the door. If those facts had happened in Connecticut, Jeremy, would a homeowner be justified in shooting? Um, the answer is probably. Um, look, the, we have very similar um, castle doctrine laws. Um, and I think there, you know, there's been a lot of discussion between the difference between the castle doctrine, which basically says your home is your castle and, as you said, no duty to retreat, and stand your ground laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're quite different. Um, but, you know, the, the difference in um, the um, amount of protection um, that you have or don't have um, really has to do with, you know, time, place, where it happens, what are the circumstances? Um, but then the reason why I say it may be justified in Connecticut is a lot of this is subject. A lot of this is subjective. You know, a lot of this may end up in the hands of a jury, and a jury or a judge are ultimately going to be the ones that decide what is reasonable. And Jeremy Stein, were you surprised that in South Carolina it's never going to make it to a jury because there's going to be no charge at all? I'm not. I mean, especially not in a place like South Carolina that has relatively weak gun laws. Um, but, you know, I, uh, the, the new facts of the case that I read this morning, you know, were exactly what you said. Um, they're still waiting for toxicology reports from um, Nick D'Onofrio to know, you know, what his state of mind was. But it does seem like he, you know, for all intents and purposes, from the homeowner's point of view, it, you know, they most likely thought somebody was breaking into their house. Somebody's yeah. banging on the door, jiggling yeah. the handle, shouting, yeah. and then breaking windows. Yeah. Um, and so under those circumstances in South Carolina and even in Connecticut, a homeowner um, who reasonably believed that for that level of force was necessary to prevent someone from entering their house by force um, would be justified in using deadly force. I think the kind of the bigger question isn't whether somebody has a right to do this. I think the bigger question is, is this morally right? Is this ethically right? Um, Just because you have a right to do something does not mean we should be doing it. Um, And I think we're finding more and more people buying guns, arming themselves um, and, and looking, you know, for deadly force to be the answer in all circumstances. And we're going to, you know, we're going to end up in a lot of trouble in this country um, if if the answer to everything is 
use of force. Yeah, I think that you're right, Jeremy Stein. I 100% agree with that. 203-333-9422. The question we need to be asking ourselves is, in those circumstances, what else, what else could that person have done, should that person have done morally, to avoid this catastrophe, this tragedy? That's right. And, and you and I, I know that I can think of a world of things, including shooting a gun at the ceiling, if only to, you know, frighten somebody and make them run away. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like, just frighten somebody, make them run away, stall until the police get there, something, so that I am not, with my instrument of lethal force, taking somebody's life. Exactly. And, you know, look, I, I, I understand from the homeowner's point of view, I understand from you know, gun owners' point of view, um, you know, they don't know what's going on. And certainly, uh, whatever this happened, I think it was like 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning. 2 o'clock in the morning. It's very frightening. Um, You're roused out of sleep. Someone's trying to break in your house. Very scary. No question about it. And, and you know, it's, and, and it's not surprising at all. Um, but, um, you know, I think we live in a very different world. And I think, um, you know, it's it's a very real danger now we've seen it it's not and it's not just happening with a scenario like this where it does seem clear that's you know the homeowner believed someone was breaking into their house and they used the you know deadly force which they were justified in doing because they thought somebody was intruding and that is allowed by the law but i think we've seen more and more cases where the circumstances were not as extreme where where the reaction by the gun owner was not as reasonable and we have seen this time and time again where uh you know a young black kid is picking up his um sibling from from the wrong house right and gets shot in broad daylight or you know the police are executing a warrant um uh you know this happens over and over and over again and i think what we're also seeing is it's not just the castle doctrine, which, you know, it, many, many states have. I think, um, I th- you know, it's, I think most states have some version of the castle doctrine. But I think what is um, a little more frightening is that we're seeing more states expand that ability to use deadly force outside of the home um, and passing stand your ground laws, which allow you um, in those states that have it, to use the same level of force, deadly force, where you feel that you're being threatened, you know, whether whether you know whether that's justified or not, ultimately is going to be up to a jury or a judge. But that standard we have seen throughout the country, stand your ground laws have um, uh, been utilized, um, uh, you know, in, in a racist manner. Um, that we have seen stand your ground laws affect black and brown people um, unfairly um, and unequally. Um, one of the statistics I read not too long ago was a, a white shooter who kills a black victim is 281% more likely to be found justified than if the same shooter killed a white victim. And we see this around the country. Um, so, you know, I, I think we have to really ask ourselves, um, you know what what do we want as a society um and uh and how how do you know are we going to become the wild west again um or you know are we really going to start valuing human life we're chatting with jeremy stein connecticut against gun violence 203-333-9422 connecticut has uh enacted after our newtown horror 
uh, a set of um, gun laws that went into different places and attempted to attempted to look at different populations that were likely to get guns to lessen the risk that they would fall into the wrong hands. Uh, how are we doing? What are our stats in the last 10 years? Have we really reduced gun violence in Connecticut? Well, the answer is yes. Um, and although it may not seem that way week to week because some weeks, some months are worse than others, as we've seen, um, you know, a really tough summer in places like uh, New Haven, Bridgeport, Hartford. Um, but um, but the answer is yes, our laws are working. We have some of the strongest gun laws in the country. And as a result, we have some of the lowest gun death rate in the country. Um, currently, Connecticut is somewhere around fifth lowest gun death rate. So we have, you know, it is it, so in terms of, of the laws that we've passed, we have created many laws um, such as permit to purchase laws, which require, you know, a permitting system, which also requires education um, about guns and gun safety. It requires um, live fire before you can be certified to have a firearm. We require background checks. Um, we prevent guns from being in the hands of domestic abusers, um, children. Well, not really. Theoretically, not enough. But it's another conversation. Well, the law is clear. That, the law is um, clear. We're trying. But 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 yes, and 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 we saw a recent case in New Haven, a double homicide in New Haven, where there, um, you know, this there was clear domestic abuse. Um, these this is a couple known by the police, and still. Um, you know, they were unable to prevent, um, you know, the worst thing from happening, not not just one person, but but both parties murdered. And um, so um, I, I but but I think the important thing is that we know gun laws work. We know that things like safe storage um, and we just this past session made our safe storage law even stronger. Um, many of you are familiar with Ethan's law. Um, and Ethan's law required guns to be locked up if you had you know, a child in the home or someone who was at imminent risk to harm themselves or somebody that was prohibited by law from having a firearm. And now, um, come October 1st, um, when the law will go into effect, you will be required to store your weapon um, regardless of who's in the home. And laws like that save lives. It still allows people to have a gun to protect themselves. Um, but it, it makes sure that guns are out of the hands of um, children, um, people who might harm themselves, people who might harm other people, um, and also prevents theft. And we're seeing, you know, we do see a large amount of crime guns that have been stolen previously, whether they're from homes or even cars. Um, so anything that we can do to prevent that kind of access is going to save lives. Yeah, we're chatting with Jeremy Stein. Are, uh, is Connecticut against violence, gun violence? Do you guys take any position one way or another with respect to technology that would have the gun owner have to have a fingerprint or some kind of a smart ID before being able to use the gun that that person rightfully owns? Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah, so smart gun technology. Um, it's a big topic. Um, and, you know, they have, um, they are developing guns, gun manufacturers developing guns, um, although it's not in major markets yet. Um, and it would be similar, you know, there's many different versions of it, but the, the easiest way kind of to understand it is similar to the way your phone unlocks, right? You would have, you know, you put your fingerprint on the phone, you put your thumb on the phone and the phone unlocks and it knows that this is you because you put in a certain fingerprint into that phone. Same thing can work with guns. Um, that same sensor can be incorporated into, um, you know, the grip of a gun um, and, you know, or the, the slide of a, of a, of a uh, rifle. Um, and that can, can be a way to make sure that the gun is locked um, and that unauthorized users can't use it. Um, they also have this with radio technology where like a ring would unlock the gun, um, various versions, apps on phones. Um, and I think that part of the issue is um, not enough manufacturers have um, developed this technology and not enough people have bought into it. Um, What's the objection? I mean, we have iPhones. I mean, it's not a problem. People store their data, you know, as if it is the most precious thing to them, which it might very well be. Why would an owner of a gun object to the fact that they would be the only rightful user of the gun? Am I missing something here? No, I don't think it's the matter of they would be the only person using it. I think it is a matter of accuracy, right? So how many times do you use your phone and, you know, you put your thumb on the phone and it just doesn't open or it says, you know, the wrong thing. I can't read the fingerprint, you know, and so you know, it could take you Absolutely. two or three Actually, times. Actually, it's pretty good, Jeremy. Actually, <laughs> to be um, honest, it is. It's pretty. I'm no, talking but, about like my password. Let's say it's not my fingerprint. Maybe it's a password technology, right. something like that. What's the problem so, with that? Well, I think that, you know, I mean, it's it's about um, ease of use and accuracy. And I think in high stress situations, right, you somebody is breaking into your house, somebody causes you harm and it's in the middle of the night and you are reaching for the gun. And, uh, you know, a gun owner who is trained and is, you know, has lived this scenario in their mind and, and has been trained to do this and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They do not want a scenario where the gun doesn't work, right? And that's why a lot of gun owners don't um, have safeties on their guns because they just don't want to have to fumble with something in the middle of the night. Or, you know, if they have to unholster a gun, they want to be able to pull a trigger and and have that gun work um, accurately, immediately, and without failure. And we, you know, we saw this same kind of reluctance with um, 
semi-automatic handguns. Um, many years ago, um, police officers only used revolvers really before the technology for semi-automatic handguns existed. And, you know, most police used what, you know, what we know as a 38 special now. It's a revolver and, and it, and it is very accurate. It's very easy to use. You pull the trigger, the gun fires, um, and very low chance of misfire. Right. And that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Along comes this ability to have more rounds in the gun, um, more rounds fire quicker, um, easier to much easier to load, um, much easier to have more ammunition on you in the case you need it. And this technology was introduced to police and military. And there was a real reluctance. And the reason why was because the rate of misfire was much higher because there was more, um, you know, more springs, uh, more complicated mechanism to actually have that round enter the chamber of the gun. However, now um, that rate of uh, failure is acceptable. Um, we know that most police, um, most military are using, um, um, you know, almost exclusively using um, semi-automatic handguns. You, you almost never see um, someone carrying a revolver, law enforcement carrying a revolver. Um, and, um, you know, and that, that I think has to happen with smart gun technology as well. There has to be a buy-in from police, military to say, look, this is an acceptable um, level of, of uh, failure, but at the same time, the technology has to get better. Jeremy Stein, you've been doing this for Connecticut Against Gun Violence for how long? Um, I've been the executive director for a little over six years, but our organization has been around for over 30. Are you drawn to this issue because of any personal relationship with gun violence? Did you have a friend or family member die as a victim or do you have a, is there any reason why you've been drawn to this? Yes. And there's, there's many reasons. Um, my uh, uncle who was a, former Marine, um, also suffered from depression, uh, took his own life with a firearm. Um, and, um, but my, you know, I have other touches with gun violence. I, I grew up in New York city. I've had guns pointed at me when I was in high school. Um, someone with severe mental health disorders went to our bus station, took out a sawed off shotgun, pointed it at about, you know, me and about 50 other students said that he was going to kill all of us. Um, uh, never made the paper, <laughs> you know, um, mm -hmm. something we all lived with, um, really didn't think anything of it other than, you know, that we survived. Um, and, you know, um, many other touches of gun violence. Um, my wife grew up in Sandy Hook um, at the time of the shooting. I was actually a volunteer with Newtown Underwater Search and Rescue. Um, and many of my my colleagues, friends, teammates, um, one of my uh, were there. Um, one of my teammates um, was actually one of the first first responders uh, to be on scene at the school, um, and once described to me what he saw when he entered this school, and you know what what he told me was just unbelievable and horrific, and yeah. should should never should never have happened um, in 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 this in this world. Yeah, in this world. And do you feel like your efforts are, do you, what do you feel like your efforts are, are doing here in Connecticut? Do you feel like uh, there's a lot of resistance? Do you feel like we're at a good status quo and it continues to be about education? 
or are there further items on the agenda that you would like to see passed? There are always more things that we can do, and we are always striving to make sure that whatever we propose, um, whether it's legislatively or through education or through funding, especially funding programs that are geared towards um, black and brown communities um, or suicide, um, there's always something that we need to be doing. Um, This problem is complicated. Um, And we need to have a multifaceted approach to trying to reduce gun violence. But there is a lot of hope. Um, We do have a lot of good legislators. We have a very good governor who is good on this issue. We have great um, legislators in Congress who are great at this issue, Um, true champions of gun violence prevention. And I think, you know, Connecticut has done a lot. We have led the way. in uh, gun violence prevention in this country, many of the things like our red flag laws, um, which were, I mean, you know, red flag laws or mm-hmm. extreme risk protection laws were invented yeah. in Connecticut. And this is something that is really um, effective in um, preventing gun violence, especially suicide by gun. And, um, you know, and, and for those not familiar, this is a law that allows um, a court to issue an order that would remove guns, give give the police the ability to remove guns from someone's possession, similar to a search warrant um, with due process. And it would allow the police to remove guns from an emergency situation where someone is in imminent risk to harm themselves or others. Um, those are the types of laws that work. They don't do anything to, um, you know, we're not looking to take your guns away. We're not looking to, you know, to get rid of the Second Amendment. I think those are ridiculous arguments. And, um, you know, what we're trying to do is prevent gun violence. We're not against guns. We're just against gun violence. And uh, I think it's really critical to make that distinction. Um, You can own a gun safely. You can own a gun um, reasonably in this country. Um, And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still limit access to things like AR-15s, which were designed as weapons of war. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there there is a reasonable effort to reduce gun violence. But, you know, like we said at the beginning of the show, um, just because you have the right to do something does not mean that it's it's morally or ethically right. And I think regardless of what your right is to own a gun, I think you have to ask yourself the question that we are always asking, which is, are guns going to make you safer? And the answer is simply no. Um, yes, you can own a gun, but there are just so many reasons why you shouldn't. There are so many reasons why owning a gun is dangerous. It's going to put you at risk, your family at risk. It increases the chance of suicide, domestic violence, accidental death, et cetera, et cetera. And if you still want to own a gun, you know, I, I, I draw, often draw an analogy with like motorcycles, right? We know it's much more dangerous to drive motor, to ride a motorcycle than it is to car, but yet people still want to do it. They still want to do it without helmets on, right? And if that if you want to do it, then then have at it. But um, but but don't kid yourself. This is mm-hmm. it is not safe. Um, Jeremy Stone. I want to, yeah, I want to thank you very much for joining us, <clears throat> Connecticut Against Gun Violence. We're going to put this up as a podcast right after the show. Thank you for being so informative and so engaged. And so passionate and caring about the safety of the people here in Connecticut. Thank you for coming and, on today. And thank you, Lisa, for having us and for always um, you know, putting this issue um, at the forefront and, and making sure that we're all safe. Thank you so much, Jeremy Stein, C-A-G-V. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 